Explain it. A podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but don't. I'm Jeff Sims. And I'm Evan Smith. Evan. Yes. Guess what, buddy? What? Welcome to episode two, three, baby. Oh, there was a fear in your eyes. There was. I almost forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember last week was a palindrome. And that's the only reason why I remembered. All right. So now we're uh, nutting. Now we're prime 23. Num- pr- prime number. It's also uh, the number 23, you know, the movie with um, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yes. It's like everyone has this really strange obsession with 23, Michael Jordan's number, LeBron James's number. These are some pretty big numbers. 23 is a pretty big milestone. How old I was when I got married. Ooh. <laughs> Well, that's been all good luck so far. It's all been great so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a great episode. This is very exciting. It's another listener send-in. Another listener send-in. And it was like, I, I almost didn't want to say it was listener send-in because I thought the idea was so good that I wanted us to have it for our own. A little selfishly, yes. Yeah. Uh, Gray sent it in again, so I sent in another. It was yep. this. So it's, we didn't start the fire. The Billy Joel song. Uh-huh. Explained. It every is. lyric. Every <laughs> single one of them. And it... I have to say, just before we get started, I we were really underestimating how much there is to this. Jeff, I was talking to my mother today about this. Uh-huh. She's she like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing some research for the podcast. She's like, you were doing that yesterday and the day before. I was like, mom, I haven't put this much work into a university essay. No, honestly. Ever. ever. This is the most research I have done for anything hands down in my life. <laughs> Period. I know. It's pretty shocking. We don't know how long this will be. No. We suggest get comfortable. Yeah. We may. Strap in. We we may just take a break of a week in the middle. We may need we may need a week to calm down and start again. Yeah, we're not really sure to be honest with you. No, yep. um, I will say it was also one of the most enjoyable ones because of such an array of topics. They're all centered around the same theme, we'll call it. Um, but they're it's all, a, yeah, pop culture, yeah, political, yeah, exactly, yeah. But each one of them was very different, and like I hardly knew any of them. There's some I, I knew, some knew, I didn't. And even even the ones that I was like, oh, yeah, I know who that is or I know yeah. what that is. I'm like, yeah. you don't know this thing. No, and you don't. So should we just, should we just jump? Let's just jump. Because we need right. to start this fire. We need to. Yeah, but guess what? We didn't start it. We did not start it. This nope. song was released on Billy Joel's 11th studio album. That's a lot. Stormfront. Uh-huh. Great album if you don't know it. Uh, mm-hmm. Down Eastern Alexa is on Stormfront. Yeah. I Go to Extremes. Uh, and So It Goes. All on Stormfront. I mean, banger, banger, banger. Yeah. Well, so it goes as depressing. Um, the mm. lyrics consist of rapid-fire allusions mm. to more than 100 headline events between 1949, the year Billy Joel was born, Ooh. and 1989, the, the year, year the song Billy was Joel released. <laughs> <laughs> so, who is that? <laughs> um, <laughs> we didn't start the fire, but we did kill Billy Joel. <laughs> um, so yeah, 1989, the year the song was released. So if you're doing that math, that's 40 years. Yep. So basically, Billy Joel's 40th birthday. Yep. He's in the recording studio with his friend Sean Lennon, yes. son of John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Mm-hmm. The conversation conversation went something like this. Uh, Wikipedia has it in quotation. So it might have went exactly like this. Maybe. Who's the saying? Who can trust Wikipedia? Yes. Do you want to be Sean or Billy Joel? I'll be I'll be Sean. Great. I feel like you're a little more Billy Joel. So he's a combination of his dad's British, but his mother's Chinese. So I don't want to be Sean anymore. <laughs> whatever you want to do with that. Um, so we're in the studio. Okay. Sean says... Yeah. 
It's a terrible time to be 21. No, I don't enjoy this But it's Billy Joel, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, yeah. I remember when I was 21, I thought it was an awful time. And he, <laughs> it's very like 1930s <laughs> Brooklyn. I'm going to stick with it, though. I thought it was an awful time. And we had Vietnam and, you know, drug problems and civil rights problems. and Everything seemed to be awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's different for you. You were a kid. No, now no, 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 no. I'm latching onto you. <laughs> I wish we had practiced this. I'm glad that we didn't. Um... I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Please do. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's different for you. You were a kid in the 50s, and uh, everybody knows that nothing happened in the 50s. Wait a minute, Sean Lennon. Didn't you ever hear the Korean War or the Suez Canal crisis? <gasps> that's the direct quote. Whatever happened after that, I mean, that's when I think Sean killed Billy Joel. And then took and over. And took his place. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that was the exact moment. Nice. We just uncovered another conspiracy. We did. So Billy Joel gets the inspiration to then write this song yeah. of... Do you know what that interaction just reminded me of? No. The little drummer boy uh, beginning with uh, oh, David Bowie. <laughs> yes, and it's like David Bowie knocks the door and yeah, is like, like, oh, I used to know the guy who lived there. Yeah, this is my favorite song. Do you like this song? It's like, yeah, I love this song. <laughs> and oh, Big's like, oh, those new agey yeah. hip rockster guys. It's awkward to say the least. Yes. But that's how but I delightful. feel like that interaction went. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so every two phrases... Um, chronicle headlines from a single year mm-hmm. of Billy Joel's life, starting in 1949. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio is all 1949. Yep. The next two phrases, 1950. The pattern holds true until the very last verse when we get a blast of 1964 to 1989, not necessarily in chronological order. No, and outside the verses, the chorus, uh, we didn't start the fire, uh, the problems didn't start with any particular generation, even though every generation thinks they experienced the worst. And that's kind of always the case. Yeah. It's a classic kid to their parents. You don't know how I'm feeling. It's like, no, I was once 17, John. Yes. It's like, no, you weren't. I mean, and I walked uphill both ways to get to school. <laughs> yeah. <with laughs> no, no shoes storm, on. No <laughs> shoes on. It is a snowstorm and it was August. <laughs> Why did you have to go to school in August? Because it was 1947. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I shot a duck, it was a moose and with a stick. <laughs> Uh, it was always burning since the world's been turning. There have always been issues and problems since cavemen were, you know, scraping meat off bones with fancy rocks. They were, too. They, they were, too. Uh, we didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Everyone in their own time is constantly trying to fight their problems and to try to stop the fire that their generation, that their culture is uh, fighting for. Right. Um, but when we are gone, it will still burn on and on and on and on and on. It's never going to stop. Nope. Never going to give song, you up. Yeah, the song overall addresses how history doesn't speed up or slow down. It only moves quickly forward. Presidents, wars, huge historical events, actresses, musicians, they all get the same airtime, we'll call it. Uh, Billy Joel was quoted as saying he wrote the song choosing things that were important to him. So the release of Peter Pan receives the same amount of weight or value as the Watergate scandal. Right. So yeah. if anybody else wrote the song, it would be different events, but... These are iconic, but there are certain little aspects in there that are like specific to Billy Joel that they shaped his life. I think the big, the difference for me is that I thought that it was more so of like historical tragedies or like negative things that were happening. They were just things that happened. Yeah. Some of them are great. That the fire is burning doesn't always necessarily mean like California is burning. No. It could just mean the fire of progression. It could be the fire of positivity, of warmth, of of, of community. And also it, it also goes to show that like... These things that in this specific year were monumental and insane are the next year are forgotten about. Exactly. It's the next, they're on to the next thing. Yep. It's the Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake scandal all over again. It's a nip slip. The nip slip. It was always burning. Everything. (laughs) This probably need an ointment for that. I'd say it's a bit of a rash or something. (laughs) Um, So, Jeff, after you, I have, so 
I've done this song more than once. At, at two times in my life, yes. I have known every word to this song by memory. And you've forgotten them every time afterwards. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's like a science test. You forget every like cram, the cram, cram, second, cram. the second you walk away from yeah. it. Yeah. I can still do like hair chewing. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. You go ahead. Oh, so cool. are we going to sing... Are we going to sing our line Let's and do it then verse do it? for verse. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm going to start with the first verse, which, like Evan said, comes from 1949. Don't start on a key that's too high, though. Harry Truman, Doris okay. Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. Mm. Yeah. So let's dive in. Harry Truman. Yes. Became the U.S. president when President Roosevelt died in 1945. Oof. He was responsible for dropping the atomic bombs on Japan and ending World War II. Was he? Truman initiated the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe after the war. Oh. Harry Truman's significance is that he started his second term in 1949. During his second term, he brought the U.S. into the Korean War. Mm. Doris Day was born on the 3rd of April, 1922, and oh, passed away. You're giving me no time for a reaction. I see. We're just going We're like, going clip, clip, in, clip. buddy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she passed away on the 13th of May, 2019. She was at the ripe age of 97. No, she wasn't. Yes, she was. Oh, my. What a day she had. Uh, didn't she? Yes. Doris now. She started singing and touring with, uh, with, the, Lay, uh, sorry, with the Lay Brown Band at age... 16 and made her first movie in 1948. She soon became a popular movie star and singer, best known for her movies with actor Rock Hudson. She had an incredibly successful movie career and music career, but was known as one of the most best actresses of her time. She was also subject to much drama and scandal. Was she? Aren't they all? Uh, unfortunately, uh, she was abused by one of her husbands. She was left by the Not other. Not Rock. No. I think she, Rock was gay. She was left by the other. Uh, Which is probably that. That's rock. And another one died and left her nearly $1 million in debt. She's gone through nervous breakdowns. She lost her only son and has lived a sad and depressing life, but continued to entertain us and perform all the way through it all. Oh, Doris. Doris, indeed. Red China. Yes. On October 1st, 1949. The communists uh, took control of China after a struggle that started before World War II and renamed the country the People's Republic of China. Having the government headed by Zhao Enlai and the party being under Mao Zedong's chairmanship, it was declared a socialist republic made up of four social classes. It was called Red China by the United States to indicate that they were communists. Like, uh, okay, red bit, being little... the color of the communists. Mm-hmm. By October 2nd, 1949, the republic had been recognized by the Soviet Union, and by February 1950, China and the Soviet Union, Union signed a treaty of friendship, alliance, and mutual assistance. Mm. This was a massive threat to the U.S. and therefore became a focal point in American culture in 1949. Sure. Johnny Ray. Okay. Who was partially a deaf singer. No, he wasn't a partially, he was partially deaf and also a singer. He wasn't a partially a deaf singer. Wait, I don't, I don't get it. Both, both the, those things mean the same thing? No, they don't. If you put partially and deaf together and then singer, he was a singer who was partially deaf. Right. But if you put partially a deaf singer, he could have been a carpenter, also deaf, but partially would sing on the side. Oh, okay. Sure. So he's a singer by who profession. Who was partially deaf. Who was partially deaf. <laughs> I'm glad we've cleared that up. Jeez, I thought I was partially deaf there while you were telling me no, about No, I'm it. partially stunned here now yes. trying to read. Um, whose song, Cry, was a number one hit. Uh, Johnny Ray actually cried in performing the song. He was a top star in 1949 within 1950 as I well. I bet that made the lady swoon, though. I bet it did. Yeah. Um, and I listened to the song yes. continuously throughout the entire day. <laughs> I also sent it to you today. I did listen to it, yeah. No, of course you didn't. No. Uh, it's, like, really good. I actually quite enjoy it. 
I think like that was like his hit. It was his hit in 1949. Sweet. But like he had a couple of big hits. Right. But like yeah. that one obviously was huge in that year. Yeah. He's like the hits. Andrea Bocelli of 1949. That is a strange. Just like a, a singer with a disability. <laughs> oh no, that's not what I thought you meant. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, go on. Just just ease this on past yeah. that. <laughs> South Pacific was a highly popular problem. <laughs> it's okay. Johnny didn't hear you say it anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> South Pacific was a highly popular Broadway musical composed by... Uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. It premiered in 1949, and it ran 1,925 performances. It was later made into a uh, hit movie in 1958. The plot centers on an American nurse stationed on a South Pacific island during World War II, who falls in love with a middle-aged expatriate French plantation owner, but struggles to accept his mixed-race children. A secondary romance between a U.S. Marine lieutenant and a young Tokinese woman explores his fear of the social consequences should he marry his Asian sweet the issue of racial prejudice is candid, uh, sorry, is candidly explored throughout the musical. Most controversially, in the lieutenant's song, "You've Got to Be Carefully Taught." The mm. themes and plot tie in nicely with the culture and tone in 1950s America. I believe it. It is still studied heavily today and is used as an example of racism and wartime prejudice. Did you say that Nellie has an issue with Buddy's mixed race children? I didn't know that was part of the thing at all. Um, it's kind of, it is a little bit. I don't okay. think, it, yeah. I think there's metaphors in there. I don't mm. think it's like. I thought she was like it. sunshine and roses kind of character. Yeah, but I think there's a little bit of upset. Oof. Oof, oof indeed. Walter Winchell. Yes. Yes. Uh, he was a top gossip reporter. Was mm. he? He was. Tell me the tea. Whose newspaper column and radio show could make or break a celebrity. He became a successful, successful journalist, and eventually... Successful. Successful. And he went on to writing for the New York Evening Graphic in 1924. Uh, his work was read by over 50 million Americans from the 20s all the way to the 60s. Winchell also had a Sunday night radio oh, broadcast. I've heard of this. Winchell's Column. It's yeah. a reference in Annie. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was heard within the 30s and the 50s. Winchell, who was Jewish, was one of the first commentators to attack Adolf Hitler. Ooh, okay. Yeah, he was considered to have a left-of-center political view uh, through World War II um, when he was stridently pro-Roosevelt, pro-Labor, and pro-Democratic Party. During the Depression, Winchell favored Roosevelt and stood by the troops during the war. By his popularity, Winchell had the power to create and destroy the lives of actors, actresses, politicians, parties, etc. He was the first to find out about news and radio uh, and reported over the radio. When he died in 1972... A front-page article in the paper eulogized Winchell as the country's best-known journalist and radio sensation. Whoa. Yeah. And finally, for this section in 1949, Joe DiMaggio yes. was a popular baseball player for the New York Yankees. Pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. In 1941, he set a major league record of hitting safely in 56 straight games. He was affectionately known as Jolton Joe and the Yankee Clipper until he retired in 1952. Joe DiMaggio married actress Marilyn Monroe in 1954, but the marriage only lasted nine months. Uh, he did a bunch of other fun stuff. In 1949, Joe DiMaggio returned to the season after missing the first 65 games due to an injury. Oh. 
How many games are in a season in baseball? Uh, who's to say? More than 65. More than 60. There's at least 66. <laughs> uh, what made the 66th game of the 1949 season feel like an opening day was the return of Joe DiMaggio, who had been sidelined since spring training by stinging pain in his right heel. DiMaggio's belated debut was made even more dramatic by his courageous performance in 1948, in spite of being hindered for much of the season by painful bone spur and other nagging injuries. Oh, Achilles tendon. Maybe. I Maybe. think it's just a seal. There ends 1949. Nice. Here's what's really interesting. And Tell I, me. Because I, I didn't really look, even though I know the lyrics, I didn't really look at what you were doing. I just sort of like, for time's sake, had to focus on my own. And um, Oh, so you weren't even listening to me just then? No, no, no. I was very oh. much. But I, when I was like reading through them. Yes. Like doing mine. So many of them are connected. Like to a, to a weird point. Well, I mean, it goes chronologically. No, I know. But like... The, the amount of people who are referenced who mm-hmm. are connected to other people in the song, like everything is connected. Do you know what I mean? It's I like, feel like it's, it's not as crazy mm-hmm. as you think it is. Well, it's, it's just crazy that like once you hit that top tier of people, be it pro- pro- yeah. politicians or celebrities or whatever, yeah. they're all linked. They're yeah. married to each other. They're sleeping with each other. They're yeah, fighting yeah, each other, whatever. Sure. That's like if you did one for now, it would be like Snowmageddon, COVID-19. <laughs> Donald Trump, like Still all again, these wouldn't be a, a Newfoundland one. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh yes, I, I, not a worldwide one. Or I guess this one isn't. If I wrote the song, it would be as it would be. Yeah, as it would be. Snowmageddon, Snowmageddon, <laughs> here comes Snowmageddon, God. Yeah, your bombs shots. Um, so I will do my next one. Oh God, I didn't keep my like thing, so I had to. I don't. I don't have my list in front of me, so I had to oh, like. I rewrote I, mine. Oh God. Okay. Uh, so I'll test my memory. Um, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, uh, I'll just have to keep rolling. North Korea, South Korea, Maryland, Monroe. Nice. Okay. Sue, Joe McCarthy, was a senator from Wisconsin. Okay. He was best known for his work chairing the Senate Committee on Government Operations, which focused on suspected communists in the government. Ooh. He was pointing the finger at anyone and everyone, to the point where you probably heard the term McCarthyism. Maybe. It's because of him. It was to, co- the term was coined in 1950 in reference to his practices. T- today, the term is used to call out someone for being reckless and accusing people of something with literally no evidence. Ooh, that's to be like you're to, to be, be guilty of McCarthyism. Um, he gave this speech where he was just waving this piece of paper in the air, saying that there was like 300 people, a list of names of all the people in the U.S. government working for the Communist Party. Wow. It's like no one ever got that piece of paper, but he was just waving. He it. was waving it around. So just a post-it note. Um, so the government looked into his claims and found no evidence, but he just kept at it. Uh, his interrogation tactics were brutal. He interrogated people in the army. He interrogated people in the government. Um, he would blackmail homosexuals because at that time it was illegal to be homosexual. So if he knew that you were, then He'd he blackmail would blackmail you, you and yeah. try to get you to out someone. Um, he was so aggressive in his interrogations that um, courts actually ruled it as a violation of people's civil rights. Wow. Um, during this, even though he had no proof, 2,000 government employees lost their jobs. Um, there's the Army McCarthy hearings, which were actually televised. Um, of him just ripping into this general from the from the Marines. And one of the, um, I guess it would be like, not jurors, but like justices on, mm-hmm. the, on the thing actually is quoted as saying, like, you could hear it on the thing going, have you no decency, sir? <laughs> because he just like tears into him with like out, back, and down, and also 
No proof no of proof anything. No proof at all, you McCarthy. So the Senate votes to condemn him for inexcusable, reprehensible, vulgar, and insulting conduct. He keeps his job, but he loses all power. He can stay in the Senate, but he can't vote. He can't do anything. He's just like a senator who is basically benched. Um, he died in 57 at the age of 48. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Uh, Richard Nixon. Yep. 1950, he was a member of the House of Representatives from California. He presented evidence in a case against Alger Hiss, who was a U.S. government official accused of being a Soviet spy. Man. Lots of Soviet spies going on in the 50s. I have one coming. I'm sure you do. Yeah. There's a lot of Russian Soviet stuff. Well, I mean, stuff. We're, we're coming between 1950 and 1962. It's a lot. Well, yeah. Uh, this moved along his career, and he ran for Senate and won. He later became vice president under President Eisenhower. The rest about him will come later in the song. And it will. Um, a Studebaker. A popular car in 1950. It had a torpedo <laughs> front end and a, and a reed window. I don't know what that means. Reed window. But I'll show you a picture. Um, people joke that it looked like the car was going backwards. Okay. Because of the way that it looks. So this is a picture of it. Oh, yeah. It definitely does. So when it's driving <laughs> yeah, that way, yeah, so look, that should be the front. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's sort of Batmobile-y in that the front is yes, super long. Yes, yes, yes. Um, like an Adam West Batmobile. Yeah. Yeah. So television. Television started to take off in the States in the 1950s. TV sets in those days, um, in 1949, cost $500. Of course they did. Uh, in 1953, law of supply and demand, they only cost $200 because mm. everyone wanted one. Mm. Uh, they were 10-inch screens in black and white. Um, color wasn't actually introduced until 1951. At the beginning of the decade, 1950, 3 million people owned televisions in the U.S. Wow. By the end of the decade, 55 million people owned televisions. That's shocking. Um, they had a huge cultural impact. Um, commercials, for one. Yep. Ways to get your ads out. Mm -hmm. um, world events. You could see world events televised. Yeah. Scenes from World War II. Yep. Or um, po uh, politicians' um, speeches. Yeah. It actually, t television is the reason that politicians and commentators like changed their way of speaking. Like, think they, about Reagan. Reagan would have never gotten... No. They had to change their way of speaking to sound bites. Oh, and yeah. And that's what the, that's the whole television thing is like, we need now want a little clip that we can play on the news, we can play wherever. We don't want this, like, speech that's an hour and a half. We want, like, this 30-second clip that we will now repeat forever. Uh-huh. So then, North Korea, South Korea, always connected. Always. Um, except <laughs> now. Geographically. <laughs> geographically. Um, after World War II, Korea split into North and South. So until that point, they were together. North Korea became established as a communist dictatorship by the Soviet Union and Red China. Red China. After Japan was defeated. Uh, in 1950, North Korea attacked South Korea, starting the Korean War. Yep. That's what happened that year. Nice. Marilyn Monroe in yes. 1950. Um, that was her breakthrough year. This was is why it? it's significant. Of course. So when her agent negotiated a seven-year contract with uh, 20th Century Fox, Go on. she became a sex symbol, um, which is a huge deal at that time because there weren't really sex symbols in the 40s. No. It was like, this is just the beginning. She married Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio. Um, she was rumored to have relationships with JFK, as mm -hmm. we know, Bobby Kennedy, Bobby his Kennedy. brother, yep. and mafia boss Joe Giancona. Okay. And, of course, she died under very suspicious, suspicious circumstances. Mm, As you would when you're linked. We should do an episode. And we will. When you're linked to, uh, you know, presidents, congressmen, and also the mob. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something's up there. I feel like someone's going to be jealous. I think so. A little flick there. Thank you. Perfect. All right. 1951. You ready? I'm so ready. Ro right, what? I'm so ready. I thought you said I'm still going. I'm like, no, you, you stopped. So 1951. <laughs> Rosenberg's H-bomb, Sugar Ray, Parmesan, Brando, uh, Brando, the king and I, and the catcher in the rye. Great one. Great one. So the Rosenbergs probably felt subject to McCarthyism. 
So the Rosenbergs uh, were a husband and wife who were arrested and executed for selling secrets of the atomic bomb to the Soviet Union. What? Americans? Americans. Um, Yeah. The Soviet Union secretly conducted its first atomic weapons test on August 29th, 1949. To this day, historians and scientists debate how much espionage sped up the progress of the Soviet Union's nuclear weapons program. Julius Rosenberg was a key Soviet spy who passed along information to the Soviet Union and recruited Manhattan Project spies, which I got to say, we have to talk about later because that's going to be a great topic. The Manhattan, Manhattan Project? Project? Yep. Okay. Espionage was a major concern for the United States. Um Obviously, during the Manhattan Project, some of the individuals who worked on the project were spies and provided valuable information on the design of the atomic bomb. Um, Of which atomic bomb? America's? Yes. But they were Russians. To the Soviet. They were like spying for the Soviets. I see. So Julius Rosenberg was a key Soviet spy. Um, He was a U.S. citizen and electrical engineer. Uh, In 1951, Julius and his wife, Ethel, were tried and convicted of espionage for providing the classified information. Their trial remains controversial today. Right. Probably McCarthyism. So how you probably don't know the answer to this, but I don't, like probably. how they were American citizens or they were Russians who like came they were, over here? No, they were American citizens who just like were in it, yep happy with what the Russians were doing. Sure, they or were like getting like, paid well or whatever. Yep, whatever it was. Crazy. So they were both executed in the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison in June 9th, nineteen fifty three. Neither husband nor wife spoke before they died. Wow. There's a lot around there. Oof. The H-bomb, the hydrogen bomb, was developed under the guidance of Edward Teller. It was many times more powerful than the atomic bomb and, in fact, required an atomic bomb to detonate it. Imagine that. Imagine a bomb that required another bomb to detonate the bomb. The H-bomb required an atomic bomb? Just to detonate it. Take that. Wait. What was dropped on Hiroshima? An atomic bomb. So an H-bomb is more than that. Yeah. No one has ever used one. Not not actively in war, no. Okay. No. Uh, so the United States exploded the first H-bomb, and then a few years later, the Soviet Union then exploded their version of the bomb. Where are they doing this? Out in the middle of the ocean or the desert. Good Lord, those yeah. poor fish. Yeah, Area 51. Following the successful Soviet detonation of an atomic device in September 1949, the United States accelerated its program to develop the next stage in atomic weaponry, a thermonuclear bomb. Uh, It is a a thousand times more powerful than conventional nuclear devices. Opponents of development of the hydrogen bomb included Oppenheimer, one of the fathers of the atomic bomb. Uh, He and others argued that little little would be accomplished except the speeding up of their arms race, uh, since it was assumed that the Soviets would quickly follow suit. Uh, Theoretical physicist Edward Teller is often referred to as the father of the H-bomb. He was part of the group of scientists who invented the atomic bomb as part of the U.S. government-led Manhattan Project. He created the first hydrogen bomb in 1951. Sure. Sugar Ray. That's a band, right? I think it's a singer. Oh, yeah. But it's not who we're talking about. Is it like Abra, Abra, Kadabra? Isn't that Sugar Ray? Uh, I don't think so. I'm going to reach out and grab you. I know the song, but I don't don't think it's Sugar Ray. Look it up later. Go on. It's not this Sugar Ray. It's not. No, this Sugar Ray was a middleweight boxing champion of the world. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Yeah. And also had a great hit in the 1990s (laughs) at the age of like 87. (laughs) Abracadabra. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, at the time, considered pound for pound the best boxer ever. He was highly personal and popular. By 1951, Sugar Ray Robinson was considered the best pound for pound fighter. Uh, that summer, Robinson traveled to Great Britain for a vacation and publicity tour before his scheduled July 10th bout with Randy Turpin, in which Sugar Ray was heavily favored. 
To the surprise of all of his fans around the world, however, the surprisingly strong Turpin battered Robinson and won the match in 15-round decision. Afterward, Robinson requested uh, and was granted a rematch. Two months later, September 12th, the Polo Grounds set a a middleweight fight attendance record for the match. The crowd was filled with well-known personalities from U.S. Army General Douglas MacArthur to stars, film, stage actors, all the whole thing. Two minutes and 52 seconds into the 10th round, referee Rudy Goldstein stopped the fight, and Robinson was uh, was showered with adulation from the adoring hometown crowd as he won back his title. Nice. Billy Joel is clearly into boxers because I have two more boxers i have another boxer and yeah. like sports fans but i think it's about yeah. pop culture it is it it's like american is. culture is yeah. baseball and boxing yeah 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 and that's yeah, what yeah. this is yeah um Pamamjom, uh which is a village in central korea in the demilitarized zone established after the korean war um so it's centered five miles east of Kainsong and three miles south of the 38th parallel mm-hmm. it was the location of the truce conference that was held for two years between 1951 and 1953 between representatives of the united nations uh forces and the opposing north korean and chinese armies during the war mm-hmm. in july 1951 president truman and his new military commanders started peace talks at pamamjom at Pamamjom. Uh, still, the fighting continued along the 38th parallel as ne- negotiations stalled. Finally, after more than two years of negotiations, the adversary signed an arm, uh, armistice on July 27th, 1953. I love it when things are referred to as the something parallel. Mm-hmm. It sounds so cool. What can, this, what can the pod loft be? The splain pod. Can it be... The 23rd parallel? Well, no, because it has to fall... Like, there is a 23rd parallel. And it's, it's here, right? It might be. I mean, I'm not sure which parallel we fall into. Sure. Because a parallel... I, I assume a parallel is like a longitude line on the Earth, right? Maybe. Oh, that's what I, 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 I don't know. No. I'm not sure. Brando. <laughs> Marlon Brando. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Marlon Brando. Uh, he became a top movie actor when he received an Academy Award nomination for the role of Stanley Kowalski in the 1951 film adaption of Tennessee Williams' play, A Streetcar Named Desire. Never seen it, but would love to. Yep. He was famous for his brooding and mumbling acting style. He received an Academy Award for his role in On the Waterfront that brought him to be a top box office draw. Uh, many years later, he starred in The Godfather. Of course he did. Uh, with his performances, he helped revolutionize acting in the mid-20th century. I heard something about him the other day that was like, he would just want directors to give him a line read. Like, he would, like, as, as amazing yeah. as he is, he just like, just tell me how you want me to say the line, man. Yeah. Like, let's, let's speed up this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to go let's home. Let's not go intellectual about this. Just be like, do you want an angrier? Yeah. Show me. Show me. Just, Great. Just oh, tell me. Cool. Yeah. Done. Uh, the King and I. Another musical. Uh, yes. It's the fifth musical by the team of composer Richard Rogers and dramatist uh, Oscar Hammerstein the second. It is based on <laughs> Margaret Landon's novel Anna and the King of Siam. Mm-hmm. Siam? Siam? Siam. Siam. Uh, in 1944. The musical's plot relates the experience of Anna, a British school teacher hired as part of the king's drive to modernize his country. The relationship between the king and Anna is marked by conflict through much of the piece, as well as by love to which neither can admit. Ooh, it hosts one of my all-time least favorite songs of all time. Which one? Getting to know Oh, yes, God. You, getting, getting to, to know, know all about it's you. Not, it's it not sucks. Uh, the musical premiered on March 29, 1951 at Broadway St. James's Theater. It ran for nearly three years, making it the fourth longest-running Broadway musical in history at really? that, at that oh, time. Really? At that time. <laughs> and as many, many tours and revivals. 
Amazing. The Catcher in the Rye. I think that's very obvious. Um, the Catcher in the Rye is a famous novel by J.D. Salinger, mm. uh, particularly published in a serial form from 1945 to 1946, and then finally as a novel in 1951. What's a serial form? Uh, I would say a series of of small paragraphs. I see. Yeah. Of small paragraphs. <laughs> a series of sentences. Yes. One a week. Words. <laughs> Stay tuned for next week's sentence. <laughs> The one guy's like crazy. Holden his own Caulfield book. says, "It's like, <laughs> yeah. what is he gonna say? Wait till 1946." Holden, hold on, hold on, Um Obviously, it was one of the biggest books, and everyone's studying it and learning it and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, between 1961 and 1982, The Catcher in the Rye was the most censored book in high schools and libraries in the United States. Mm. In 1981, it was both the most censored book and the second most taught book in public schools in the United States. Depending on the school, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it's just crazy that like some yeah. of are like, nope, we're banning it. Other schools are like, no, everyone needs to read it. Yep. According to the American Library Association, The Catcher in the Rye was the 13th most frequently challenged book from 1992 to 2000. It was one of the 10 most challenged books in 2005. I, we had to read it in high school. Yep. I don't, it's like he's just sort of a bit of an asshole, isn't he? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he kind of, it's, it's kind of themed around angst, alienation. Right, and like coming of age, and you know, it's a critique on superficiality in society and all that kind of fun right. stuff. Okay, yeah, okay. On to nineteen fifty-two. Nineteen fifty-two. Um, with <laughs> yes, come on now. Eisenhower vaccine. England's got a new queen. Machiano Liberace sent Diana goodbye. We didn't stop the fire. We can't do the chorus every time, Jack. There's no no time. We got no time. Let's go. Eisenhower. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, Mm. also known as Ike. First time I've known about this. You know in Chicago when they say, um, you can even marry Harry but mess around with Ike. And that's good. They mean Harry Truman and Ike as an Eisenhower. Oh. They're talking about the presidents. I never knew that. I've heard Harry and Ike so many times, never knew. No. He was the supreme commander in the World War II fight against the Nazis. I want to be a supreme commander. (laughs) Planned and supervised. He planned and supervised the invasion of Normandy. Of course he did. You know, that invasion of Normandy we all know about. Eisenhower planned it. Yeah. He's he was first or uh, yeah, after that, he was first supreme allied commander of NATO. I didn't even know what NATO was. I've heard it a hundred times, didn't know. It's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is an intergovernmental military alliance between 30 North American and European countries. So not just like a state in the States. He's like, of all these, he's the best one. Yep. Um, In 1952, he ran for president against Robert Taft, who opposed NATO and wanted no foreign entanglements. I got an entanglement for you, Rob. Yes. Eisenhower won and became the 34th president of the United States. And there you go. And I sure didn't have a good military mind, no? No. Vaccine. The first effective polio vaccine was developed in 1952 by Jonas Salk and a team at the University of Pittsburgh. Go on. You don't think that's going to be the university that you're going to name. No. But there it is. From 1953 to 1957, the number of annual polio cases fell from 35,000 to 5,600. Wow. By 1961, there were only 161 cases recorded. These are annual cases, by the way. Thank you. Um, Yeah. England's got a new queen. Well, England had a new queen. Yeah. It was Queen Elizabeth II. She ascended to the throne on February 6th, 1952, after the death of her father, King George VI. Mm. That's VI for those checking at home. Yes. Her coronation um, nearly a year later was recorded, and every school child was taken to an organized cinema screening during school time to watch her coronation. Of course they were. Right? Yes. Meanwhile, she wasn't much older than any of them. No. 
Um, Marciano. It might be Marciano. I think it's Marciano. I think it's Marciano. I always say Marciano when I sing it, but I don't think it is. No. It's Rocky. Adrian! 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 Never seen the movie. Another professional boxer. 1952, 13th round. Mm -hmm. He's been losing all night. All night long. He's fighting Joe Walcott. Mm -hmm. I saw this interview with this guy talking about his punch called the Susie Q, which was his right hand, (laughs) and it didn't matter where he hit you. His punch was so strong, it would just take you down. So he punches this Joe guy. You can watch the video. He just like, it doesn't even look like a crazy punch. He hits him in the side, and he drops to the floor as if like he's like had 17 beer. Like he's stumbling around from a punch to the side. It's insane. So he won and held the world heavyweight title from 1952 to 1956. He is the only heavyweight champion to have finished his career undefeated. Go on. Yep. Liberace. Liberace. Nicknamed Mr. Showmanship. Ah. So you know Liberace, right? Flashy pianist. Yeah. He always wears the sequence. He had mm. the candelabra. Yeah. There's a there's a biopic about him called Behind. You mean Evan Smith. Yeah. <laughs> called Behind the Candelabra. Um, from the 1950s to the 1970s, he had an international um, touring schedule, a residency in Las Vegas, and was the highest paid entertainer in the world. Wow. I kid you not. He was. He would. Um, in uh, 1939, he was first, like, he'd won all these classical competitions. Yeah. He was sort of like, he was such a show and he wanted to get out of the classical world because it was like, go out, play your piece and bow and maybe smile for a second. Yeah. Um, so he would take encores at the end of the show. Somebody suggested he play Three Little Fishes, which was a popular little comedy song. He did in the style of seven classical composers. It was like a 12-minute piece that he just improvised in the style of all these different composers. Of course, of course he did. Um, he would also play with a phonograph on stage that was playing music, and he would just improvise along with the phonograph. He was just a prodigy. He was just a prodigy. And the last one for 1952, Santayana Goodbye. Ooh. Um, because George Santayana said goodbye in 1952. He died. Oh, well. Um, he was a famed Spanish philosopher. Joe Santiago saying goodbye. I get it. George Washington. Oh, 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 oh. Nice. Teach him how to say <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you now. Yeah, it's, it, was a, uh, it was a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> it was a little bit like two Marlon Brando mumbled, and I didn't quite get there. Um, he was popularly known for his aphorisms, um, so which is just like a saying, basically. Okay. Um, I don't know why I used the word aphorisms, because I didn't know what it meant either. Sure. Um, so I, I'm giving you four. I'm giving you three truths and a lie for this. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so here they are. Um, he said three of these four things. Thank you. Philosophy is an art of the mind for those who don't have heart of the soul. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You know that one's true because you've heard it before. Only the dead have seen the end of war. History is a pack of lies about events that never happened told by people who weren't there. Oh, you made one of those up? Yes! I'm pretty impressed. I know. (laughs) Read the first one for me. A philosophy is an art of the mind for those who don't have heart of the soul. And the last one? History is a pack of lies about events that never happened told by people who weren't there. I'm going to go with three. Only that have seen the end of war? No. Four. History is a pack of lies? Yeah. Nope, didn't make that one up. Philosophy is out of the mind. I made it. Uh, that Isn't was, that good? That was for those who don't have heart of the soul, it even rhymed. I was trying. I was toying between. I was like, I don't think that's... I think that's right. <laughs> It's not right, right? It's not right, right? I'm impressed with you. Fun, thank you. Uh, you done with 1952? Yep, that's it. On to 1953. Joseph Stalin, Malakov, Nasser Prokofiev, Prokofiev. 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 Yep. Yep. Rockefeller, Campanella, Communist Communist Block. That's my favorite one. 
So Joseph Stalin, I'm sure everybody remembers Joseph Stalin. Uh, yeah, Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. All the Stalin lovers in the house unite. Yeah. Ooh. Communism. <laughs> Brothers of one arm. Mass murder. Yeah, 1878 to 1953. He was the, that's, that's how 18. long. 18? No, no, that's how long he lived. He was born in 1878? Yeah, and died in 1953. Wow. Didn't yeah. know that. Uh, he was a dictator for the uh, Soviet Union, the USSR, from 1929 to 1953. Under Stalin, the Soviet Union was transformed from a peasant society into an industrial and military superpower. However, he ruled with terror, and millions of his own civilians died during his brutal reign. He died March 3rd. 1953. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go into all the gross stuff he's done because everybody, I'm sure, already knows that. But 10 facts that people may not know about Stalin. Really liked ice cream. Um, sure. Are these all true? I mean, maybe. <laughs> no, you didn't make one. I didn't make one. No. Okay. Uh, small po- he had smallpox as a child, which left him uh, lasting scars and deformed. Oh. His mother sent him to study to become a priest. Oh. Didn't Qua- work. The story of Quasimodo. Yeah. <laughs> You are deformed. I am deformed. And you are ugly. And I am ugly. These are traits that this show world shows little pity. I can't remember the words. Um, I am your only friend. You're my defender. Oh, God, we could do all that. Oh, yeah. We should do that duet sometime. Maybe we should. The only problem is I want to do both parts. Yeah. Can you be the gargoyles? <laughs> oh, you're such an ass. You could be all the gargoyles, though. Jeff Sims, the gargoyle to Evan Smith. <laughs> Gargoyle. Gargoyle. Hardly knows her. <laughs> Gargoyle. Hardly. No. Uh, his nom de guerre, which I don't know what it is, means man of steel. I think it just means his name means man of steel. Stalin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, he lived in the Kremlin with uh, Lenin and Leon Trotsky. Uh, he became the de facto dictator of the Soviet Union. He exiled Trotsky. Trotsky, when he became the dictator of the Soviet Union and eventually had him assassinated, he developed his own brand of Marxism. He oversaw the country's uh, industrialization. He ordered the 1940 Katyn uh, massacre, Katyn, Katyn, well, uh, which killed about 10 or 20,000 of his own military um, leaders. Why? Uh, Who's to say? Who's to say? In the future episode, Will. Yep. His eldest son died in a Nazi concentration camp. What? Yep. The Russians were obviously in line with with the Nazis, right? No. In line as in like they weren't like no bad Nazis. They were like, yeah, you're all right. No, they were fighting oh. each other. Oh, so yeah. But the Russians weren't on our side. Yep. During World War Two, they were. Uh huh. Oh, I thought we were always fighting the Russians. No, it was actually at the end of World War Two. Okay. Yep. Um. Well, actually, we didn't really like fight with them, but it was kind of no, against but, yes. fascism, and then came the Cold War. I their see. rise. Right. Um. Malenkov mm-hmm. was the Soviet politician who briefly succeeded Joseph Stalin upon sure. his death. He was the absolute leader of the Soviet Union from March 1953 to February 1955. He then became embroiled in a power struggle with uh, Nikita Khrushchev. Okay, heard of him. Mm. Yes. Uh, that culminated in his removal from the premiership in 1955, as well as the presidium in 1957. Throughout his political career, Malenkov's personal connections with Vladimir Lenin significantly facilitated his ascent within the ruling of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Um, Nasser. Uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser. Nasser? Nasser. Nasser. It's definitely not Nasser. 
I'm sure it's not Nasser. I know, no. Nasser. Was an Egyptian politician who served as the second president of Egypt from 1954 until his death in 1970. Mm-hmm. He led the 1952 overthrow of the monarchy and introduced far-reaching land reforms the following year. Following a 1954 attempt on his life by a Muslim Brotherhood member, he cracked down on the organization, put President Mohammed Naguib under house arrest, and assumed executive office. Just took it. Yep. He was formally elected president in 1956. Nasser's popularity in Egypt and the Arab world skyrocketed after his nationalization of the Suez Canal and his political victory in the subsequent Suez crisis. Calls for pan-Arab unity under his leadership increased, culminating with the formation of the United Arab Republic with Syria from 1958 to 1961. In 1962, Nasser began a series of major socialist measures and modernization reforms within Egypt. He's done a whole lot of other stuff between then and carrying on. Um, Later, after the conclusion of the 1970 Arab League summit, Nasser suffered a heart attack and died. His funeral in Cairo drew five million mourners and an outpouring of grief across the Arab world. I bet it did. Yeah. Um, Prokofiev. Prokofiev. I think so, yeah. Prokofiev. Prokofiev. Is, he ger- is he Russian? He's Russian. Prokofiev. I think Prokofiev, yeah. Prokofiev. Emphasis on the last syllable. Yeah, yeah. Prokofiev. Yeah. Sergei Sergeyevich Prokofiev. Yes, yes, yes! That's his name. Okay, do the whole thing that way. Yeah, okay, no. No. He's a Russian Soviet composer, a pianist and conductor. Yes, I knew this. Um, did you? Yes. I didn't at all. Um, yeah. He was the creator of, uh, of acknowledged masterpieces across numerous musical genres. Uh, he is regarded as one of the major composers of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. His works include such widely heard pieces as the March from the Love of the Three Oranges, the Suite uh, Lieutenant Kiji, maybe, mm-hmm. the Ballet Romeo and Juliet, from which Dance of the Knights is taken, and Peter and the Wolf. Of the established forms and genres in which he worked, he created, excluding uh, Juvenilia, seven completed operas, seven symphonies, eight ballets, five piano concertos, two violin concertos, a cello concerto, a symphony concerto for cello and orchestra, and nine completed piano sonatas. He died March 5th, 1953. Hmm. You've heard of Peter and the Wolf, surely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just would have never... Linked them, yeah. No. Uh, Rockefeller. Yep. In 1953, Republican President Dwight D. Eisenhower appointed Nelson as Nelson Rockefeller uh, as the chair of the President's Advisory Committee on the Government Organization. He served as the governor of New York from 1959 to 1973. He was the 41st Vice President of the United States of America from December 1974 to January 20th, 1977. So they're like the Rockefellers, like yeah, super, that's super most famous. famous. And I think and that's rich. the reason why that he's kind of in this because it's like it's like the Kardashian like Rockefeller Center, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they're like one of the most richest families of all yeah, time. Yeah, uh, it's like the Kardashians becoming the right. vice presidents or something like that, Maybe. which is probably not far off of. Well, no, Kanye yeah. was going to go, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay, sure. Is it and is it Rockefeller? Is it's it? Rock of R O C K E Feller. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh Campanella. Mm-hmm. Roy Campanella, nicknamed Campy, was an American baseball player. Oh. He was a catcher. The Philadelphia native played in the Negro Leagues and the Mexican League for nine years before entering the minor leagues in nineteen forty six. Okay. 
He made his Major League Baseball debut in 1948 for the Brooklyn Dodgers, for whom he played until 1957. His playing career ended when he was paralyzed in an automobile accident in January 1958. He is widely considered to be one of the greatest catchers in the history of the game. He was the first black catcher in Major League Baseball history and was an all-star catcher, and, and he was the National League's most valuable player in 1951, 1953, and 1955. Catcher in the rye, was he? And, yep, he was great. <laughs> and then finally, the Communist Bloc. The Eastern Bloc, also known as the Communist Bloc, the Socialist Bloc, and the Soviet Bloc, was, known, was a group of communist states of Central and Eastern Europe, East Asia, and Southeast Asia under the hegemony... H-E-G-E-M-O-N-Y. I'm really bad when people spell things to me. H-E-G-E-M-O-N-Y. Hegemony? Hegemony. Hegemony. Hegemony? I think it's pronounced Hermione. (laughs) (laughs) Hermione. Hermione. (laughs) How many people people said Hermione for the longest time went, oh. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, her her hergemony, hergemony, her her her. There's no R. Hegemony. Yeah. Hegemony. Yep. Um. Yeah. It was created and it was established in 1953. Okay. Off you go. Well, what year am I now? 1954. 1954. Uh, okay. Roy Khan, Juan Peron, Toscanini, Dacron, Jin, Bien Fu, Falls Rock around the clock. Roy Khan, an American lawyer, chief counsel. To Joseph McCarthy oh, during the Army McCarthy hearings mm-hmm. of 1954. Mm. So those hearings I told you about where he was like, yeah. you, sir, have no decency. You, sir, have no decency. He was that guy. Yeah. That's all. Who cares the rest about him? Uh, Juan Perón. 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 Yeah. Perón. Evita. Evita. You know the musical, right? Yes, I do. Great. So that's what they shout when they're on the Casa Rosales. Um, he was the leader of Argentina. First elected in 1946, played by Jonathan Price, of course. Um, so yeah, he was the uh, leader of Argentini- Argentina, I was going to say then. Yep. Argentina, first elected in 1946, and then again in 1952. He was a big empower of the working class, mm-hmm. which you'll see if you watch Evita. And the money kept rolling in. Antonio Banderas. Man. He's great. So good. Uh, he was strongly anti-American yep. and anti-British. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1955, he was overthrown by a military coup. Hmm. They just took it from him because they, um, I don't know, believed different things. Because he's six And Avita had just died, too. So, um, yeah, Avita died in, or Ava, I guess, died in, in 54 or 53. I don't know. Avita just died. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, let's hit him when he's down. Yep. Punch him in the gut when after his wife died. Let's e- take it. And they yep. do. Uh, Tuscanini. Arturo Tuscanini. Considered to be one of the greatest classical conductors of all time. Ooh. He was musical director of La Scala in Milan for a period, as well as the New York Philharmonic. He was idolized by critics. Uh, he was on the cover of Time magazine three times. There has never, ever been a conductor other than him on the cover of Time magazine. He was on it three times. Go on. On April 4th, 1954, so this is why it's in the song, while conducting a radio broadcast at Carnegie Hall, Tuscanini suffered a memory lapse during the performance and never conducted live again. What do you mean a memory lapse? Well, I mean, this is what I thought, too. You aren't playing. The orchestra's playing. Yeah. So, like, you stop beating. Do they all just stop playing? Yeah. Apparently, kind of. Like, maybe it was just a really tricky part. Like, they couldn't all stay together. But, like, the 
now there are like doctored versions of the recording. I'm not sure you can actually hear an original from that evening. Sure. But um, yeah, the orchestra just sort of like hindered for a second and sort of like was like, mm, and then they just came back to like playing to get, they were like, oh shit, okay, he's gone off the deep end. Yeah. Here we go. But uh, yeah, he just like, and apparently he, as like a child and growing up, he had one of those like basically photographic memories. He could yeah. see something once and memorize it. So he'd never used a score when he conducted. No. Um, and in that moment, his brain just shut down and he was like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm to. I don't know where I'm to. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm conducting. And he just like put his head down and, his, and put his arms down like mid mid movement. What? And yeah, from that moment on, he never conducted live. He only rec- conducted in the studio. Wow. And he was like a huge celebrity. Uh, Dacron, or polyethylene terephthalate, is a polyester fiber manufactured for um, lightweight durability and resistance to wrinkles, creases, abrasions, soaps, (laughs) detergents, and dry cleaning materials. Um, But in 1954, doctors began to use Dacron as a graft to repair an artery or a blood vessel. To this day, most centers use Dacron in aortic surgery. Well, things you learn. Yep. They started that year. Uh, this is a fun one. Din Bin Fu Falls. Every time I've sang it, I've always thought there was a comma after Din Bin. So it's like whatever the Din Bin is, and then Fu Falls. Like mm-hmm. the Fu Falls. The Fu Falls. You no, know no, the no. Fu Falls. Din Bin Fu is a city. Oh, and it, it falls. falls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Fu Falls. What a, I mean, is it like Niagara Falls? Niagara Falls. It, it is, is not. Fu Falls. Um, so, in fact, Din Bin Fu is a city that was taken in a battle of 1954. Sure. The city was held by the French in what was known as Indochina, which is now Vietnam. Yeah. By holding the city, the French were trying to reassure the globe of their colonial power, but after losing the battle, they had to reevaluate their position entirely. Well, the things yeah. you learn. Because the Fu fell. The Fu um, fell. Not, be, not to be confused with the Fu fighters. Um, <laughs> rock Around the Clock. We know that song. Well, apparently we don't know the song. No, um, by Bill Haley and the Comets was released on April 12, 1954. It became the first rock and roll recording um, to top Billboard's pop charts. Interesting. Because rock and roll at the time was like, nope, you cannot listen to rock and roll. It's the devil's music. It is the devil's music. But that one went right to the top of the pop charts. And and it, have you ever heard the guitar solo on that? It's the if you heard it you'd know. It's like it's like sort of like surfer rock guitar. Oh yeah, yeah. It's to this day, it's one of the solos that when we've done it live, Glenn Collins looks at me the entire time going, a little bit slower, a little bit slower. It's fine, man. It's just the rock around the clock solo. You'll be fine, but he gets so stressed. And then meanwhile he goes and plays Bohemian Rhapsody and it's like he rocks it. But yep. rocker in the clock, he's like, it's a little too fast, man. It's a little too fast. Can we just take it down a little bit? Take it down just a touch. God love him. Okay, go on. Cool. 1955. What a good year for Rome. It was. Uh, Einstein, James Dean, Brooklyn's got a winning team. Davy Crockett, Peter Pan, Elvis Disney, Disneyland. Elvis Disney. That's what you El- said. Elvis Presley, Disneyland? Uh, Elvis yeah. Presley. I'm Elvis the, I, Disney, Disney. I was singing the wrong melody. That's why I got confused. This is the double chorus thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Einstein... Developed the theory of relativity in 1903. I think everybody knows exactly who he is. Uh, he died in 1955. Ah, yeah, it's pretty sad. That is significant. Yep. James Dean was an American actor. He is remembered as a cultural icon of teenage disillusionment and social estrangement, as expressed in the title of his most celebrated film, Rebel Without a Cause, mm. which was in 1955, in which he starred as troubled teenager Jim Stark. The other two roles that defined his stardom were... Uh, uh, loner Cal Trask in East and Eden, and then Jet Rink in 
giant. Dean became the first actor to receive a posthumous humos posthumous <laughs> posthumous. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like he got it after he died. Yeah. Posthumous. Posthumous. Correct. Posthumous. 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 So post being alive, I guess somehow. Yeah. Posthumous. Yeah. Posthumous. Yeah. yeah. That's how I was saying is posthumous. No, I know. I got gotcha. you. But is it posthumous? It's posthumous, yeah. But it like, could also like, be proud, pronounced posthumous. I mean, it could also be pronounced post-hummus if you'd like. <laughs> it's up to you. It's wrong. It's but wrong, it's... <laughs> but it's, it could be that. Um, but like think posthumously. Okay, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool, posthumous. Cool. Sure. Um, so he was obviously, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said it the first time. Your hand came up into that like AOK sign. <laughs> yeah. Posthumous. Because <laughs> it's like you were living on a prayer, but you wanted to be like real, like ping. It was like, yeah. no. No, I shot and I missed. Yeah, you shot so hard. Yeah. Um, so in 1955, Dean decided to drive his new 1955 Porsche Spider to California, to which and entered in a sports car race there. His mechanic rode with him on the way there dean's car sh- was struck by another vehicle which crossed the center line james dean was the only one killed in the accident it was just a big old fluke yeah uh the driver on the other car had minor injuries while the mechanic was thrown from the car but suffered some broken bones what happened i wonder i don't know he just died no no, no. i mean like why did he cross the line what happened what i think the other driver did this is what i mean yeah yeah like had, maybe he had a seizure or something. Uh, Brooklyn's got a winning team. On October 4th, 1955, the Brooklyn Dodgers win the World Series at last, beating the New York Yankees 2-0. to zero. They'd lost the championship seven times already, and they'd lost five times just to the Yankees alone. They're really crushing it. 41, 47, 49, 52, and 53. Mm. But in 1955... Yes. Thanks to nine brilliant innings in the seventh game yes. from the 23-year-old lefty pitcher Johnny Padres, they fi- Padres, they finally managed to beat the Bombers. That's pronounced posthumous. Post- <laughs> Padres. <laughs> um, they finally bet them for the first and the last time. Oh. In 1955, the series turned out to be the only one the Brooklyn Dodgers would ever win. Oh. They lost to the Yanks again the following year. Oh, no. The years after that, the team's owner decided he'd rather play in a swank stadium in a nicer neighborhood, so he moved to the team to California. Oh. The newly named Los Angeles Dodgers have won the championship now five times. That comes up later as well. Yep. Uh, Davy Crockett. Was, an, uh, was a famous character, but the actor, Fess Parker, starred in the highly popular TV series, Davy Crockett. He's like skin, a coon hat. Yeah, that's, it, that's exactly it. Yeah. The novelty song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett, became the number one song in 1955. It's just really? a theme song. I used to know it. it. I also went and listened to it. It's not as fun as Cry by Johnny Ray, but it is it's no, funny. I, it's like, it was a... Because there's a Disney movie, Davy Crockett, I think. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I used to know it, but I don't know it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Coonskin's cap, um, which is what he wore, became very popular. The U.S. military created an M29 Davy Crockett weapon system. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they probably gave it to him because of the massive TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Was he like a the character? Was he just like a lived in the woods kind of guy? Like a, like yeah, a bear like gorilla situation? Kind of like a G.I. Joe-ish kind of feel. Oh, he was in like an army guy. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. Great. I've been making it up. Yep. Um, Peter Pan. Yes. On March 7th, 1955, MP, MP, what is wrong with me? NBC 
presented Peter Pan live as part of the producer's showcase with nearly all of the show's original cast. Oh, the cast. musical. Yeah. As the first full-length Broadway production on color TV. <gasps> of course, this is important to Billy Joel. Magical. The show attracted a then-record audience of 65 million viewers. I bet. The highest ever up to that time for any singular television program. The original 1954 Broadway production starring Mary Martin as Peter mm-hmm. and Cyril Richard as Captain Hook earned Tony Awards for both stars. It was followed by NBC telecasts of it in 1955, 56, and 60 with all the same stars. Uh, the musical uh, was the broadcast on NBC fe- featuring several new numbers and starring Allison Williams and Christopher Walken. The show oh. has been enjoyed by several revivals on stage. Cool. Yeah. Elvis Presley. I mean, I mean, need you say more? Need I say more? He didn't die this year, so obviously he just like hit stardom. Exactly. So you can list all the songs, all his major things. In 1955, the drummer DJ Fontana joined and completed his lineup of Presley's classic quartet. Ah. RCA Victor uh, acquired his contract in a deal arranged by Colonel Tom Parker, who would manage him for more than two decades. Uh, Presley's first RCA single, Heartbreak Hotel, was released that following January in 1956 and mm. became the number one hit in the United States. So it was 1955 that kind of yeah, pushed him over solidified his thing. Yeah. All right, now Disneyland. Yay! Disney, that's Disney! That's what we've all been waiting for. Disneyland, Disneyland. M-I-C-K-E-Y. M-O-U-S-E. Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Um... Everything has been like really negative, other than like a couple of the baseball players, a couple of the boxers, some I, of the musicians. Yeah. But I, like all the musicians were like they died. Yeah, I found a lot of mine start with the word crisis. Yeah, like anything that has to do with history is like well a crisis in blah blah blah. blah. I'm like, yep. God, there was a lot of crises. Well, just wait. Disneyland opened. <laughs> guess what? In 1955. In Anaheim, California, which is interesting because I thought the first Disneyland was, Florida. was in Florida, but it was actually in Anaheim. Right. But I, it's funny because I had this exact same thought when I was reading Bob Iger's book, um, The Ride of a Lifetime. He was the CEO of Disney. Okay. When I read his book and they talked about this, the opening of Disneyland, I was like, oh, it was in California? Then did this and I was like, oh, it was in California? <laughs> Which just goes to show, Jeff doesn't learn. No, nothing. No. So, again, waste of time. This exactly. whole thing. Exactly. And also, Evan doesn't listen. So, in this, both contexts, all waste this, of time. All of this is is just a catalog of memories for us. This is our journal. <laughs> these, these are our memoirs. Yes. Oh, God. How much dumbasses we're going to look like in like 30 years? How... <laughs> Well, for instance, your sentence was just, how <laughs> much dumbasses are we going to look like? So, I'm going to answer with... Much dumbasses. <laughs> Many dumbasses. <laughs> Jesus. Well, of course, Disneyland was a theme park developed by Walt Disney and based around his cartoon characters. It was des- designated as a place for family entertainment. The $17 million theme car. <laughs> theme park was built on 160 acres of land of former orange groves in anaheim california of course it was yeah and soon brought in staggering profits today disneyland hosts more than 18 million visitors a year who spend close to three billion (gasps) dollars wait 18 million three billion that's a lot of money each well think of how much the the tickets cost yeah yeah Good lord. Yep. Plus, like, not just tickets. Well, no, you, you got to get your, like, food. sorcerer's hat that lights up. That's what I got. Yeah. 
my balloon that flew out the window the second I put the window down. I was like, don't oh. put the window down. And you're like, oh, I'm going to put the window down. <laughs> like, Evan, what do we Wait. tell you about listening? Let's do a soundscape for this. Evan, don't put the window down. You do yeah. the window. No. Why do I have to be the goddamn window? <laughs> be the window, gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'll be the window. You could do a better wi- um, balloon coming out the window. I think. You're, what? You, well, you're just like, you're better at sounds than I am. That, that's the harder sound. Is here's, it? Here's the window. Oh, that was actually really good. That'd be the balloon. <sighs> Jeff, you had one job. It was like this. <laughs> <laughs> It really got like that the was window. the life being sucked from your body when you saw your well, yeah. Balloon but go based away. on the size of the balloon, you wouldn't think it could go out of the space that I had opened the window. But like, oh, like no, I'm not gonna try. Please do it. Nope. No, it has to be wetter than that. <laughs> We're moving on. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. Uh, so bankers and even Disney's brother Roy. <laughs> That's like being that's like being Jesus' brother John. John Christ. <laughs> Roy Disney. Roy Disney. That's really uh, funny. His brother Roy. He just he he was the original person who got to wear the Mickey suit. Yeah. Uh, he was, stand, stand stand on the side of the road Holt waving the sign. <laughs> he was like flicking it upside down. <laughs> Damn it, Roy, be the gargoyle. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Jeff? God damn. Uh, he was the financial director of his movie studio, which is a little bit more important. Yep. Uh, he thought the ambitious project would lead to ruin, but the animation mogul borrowed against his life insurance and sold va- uh, vacation property to build what some in Hollywood dubbed Walt's Folly. So, which came first, the movies or the park? The movies. Okay. Um, with his reputation and finances at stake, Disney pushed a frenzied schedule to open Disneyland only one year and one day after construction began, which is shocking. Um, the work of hammering and painting continued right up until the start of a 90-minute live broadcast of Disneyland's opening on the ABC television network, which aired Disney's highly rated weekly show and was a one-third investor in the theme park. Mm-hmm. Interest in the attraction was so great that according to Neil Gabler's book, Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination, an estimated 70 million people in a country of 165 million tuned in to watch the unveiling co-hosted, the unveiling, which was co-hosted by actor and future president Ronald Reagan. Wow. Viewers took a virtual tour of the Magic Kingdom's four realms, Frontierland, Adventureland, Fantasyland, and Tomorrowland. The star-studded broadcast featured Fess Parker, who was the actor who played um, uh-huh. uh, the, the boy. Uh, I can, I, uh, Davy Crockett. Yep, thank you. Davy Crockett, um, who played the title role. Jesus, I just had to read the next friggin' sentence. Yeah. Who played the Disney <laughs> series Davy Crockett. Like, panic, 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 panic. panic. Uh, Jeff, don't you remember anything? Um he paraded on a horseback down Main Street, USA, and Sammy Davis Jr. was there. Yes. And a fedora-wearing Frank Sinatra speeding around in a miniature motorway on the Autopia ride. To the disappointment of many children, some of the park's attractions weren't actually ready to operate oh. on opening day. Uh, the Rocket to the Moon, Peter Pan, and Dumbo the Flying Elephant rides were all closed. Visitors to the unfinished Tomorrowland, which was to depict life... It'll in be done tomorrow. 
<laughs> uh, which was depicted which was to depict life in 1986 when a trip to the moon would be an everyday occurrence. Hilarious. Yep. Um, unfortunately, those people remained stuck in 1955. Oh. Even worse, Disneyland was overloaded with party crashers. The theme park expected a crowd of 15,000 people at the invitation-only opening. Oh. However, 28,154 passed through Disneyland's gates thanks to counterfeit tickets. A few more even scaled a fence using a ladder erected by a makeshift entrepreneur who charged $5 a head. Um, even by Southern California standards, the seven-mile backup to Disneyland on the Santa Ana Freeway was epic. Passengers baked in their cars. Kids were forced to take bathroom breaks on the side of the freeway and even in the Disneyland parking lot. Unprepared for the throng, Disneyland's refreshment stands and three restaurants ran out of food, and sweating parents and thirsty kids abandoned many of the long lines. In quotations, probably for the first time in his career, um, Disney had disappointed thousands of youngsters. Oh, no. For years to come. And, and every year since. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For years to come, Disneyland workers refer to the opening as Black Sunday. Oh, no. We'll settle down and get this thing operating, Disney assured the press before adding, it may take a month before everything goes smoothly. According to the Magic Kingdom, Walt Disney and the American Way of Life by Stephen Watts, that indeed was the case. In Disneyland's first few weeks, the stagecoach ride in Frontierland was discontinued after it proved too top-heavy and prone to flipping over. <laughs> a tiger and a panther in a circus parade broke loose and staged a furious death struggle on With each other? Yo, yeah, on Main street nearly all of the 36 cars on the autopia which disney envisioned as a utopian miniature freeway on which children would learn respectful rules of the road <laughs> were wrecked by aggressive drivers who crashed into other vehicles the opening day problems however did little to dissuade visitors from flocking to disneyland it took only seven weeks for attendance to surpass one million visitors and the theme park soon surpassed the grand canyon and yellowstone national park in popularity oh, wow 60 years later, more than 750 million people have passed through Disneyland's turnstiles. And unlike on that opening day, most of those people have left the happiest place on earth with a smile on their face. Mm. 1955. I would say some of them left with a headache. Mm. Not me. No, not you. But many parents. Yeah, my kid better not be a piece of shit. Well, I think people just try and bring them too early. Mm. I've been to Disney World in Florida Four times, maybe? Yep. And I'm always, every time I'm there, I go, why is that toddler there with you? Yep. I wouldn't dream of bringing Harrison to Disney World. No? And he's great. But it's like, it's too hot. Too hot. You have to wait in a line constantly. The one thing toddlers can't handle is, like, not getting what they want when they want it. True. So, like, you're asking for a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Four is the earliest, I think. Four is okay. Two. It's when they can start forming memories. But then there's a part of it where it's like, part of it is like the... Parents' memory of being like, I love Disney. Your memory is going to be child. how many Advil you took and crushed into a bottle of wine when you got back to the hotel. Welcome to my Friday. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Okay, so 1956. I need to like go back to yours because this runs into each other and I did it wrong the last time. Yeah. So, um, Einstein, James Dean, Brooklyn's got a winning team. David Crockett, Peter Pan, Elvis Presley, Disneyland, Bado, Budapest, Alabama, Cruise, Jeff, Princess Grace, Titan Place, Trouble in the Suez. We didn't stop the fire. Do, 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 do. It was always burning. Okay, so... Bardo. Bardo. As in Bridget. 
Bardot. No, oh, have you heard of her? No, I thought it was it was. Becky. She's very similar to Marilyn Monroe in that her fame peaked as an actress, actress, and a sex kitten. She okay. was dubbed to be the first sex kitten. Now it's like you know, if you don't have a sex tape, are you even famous? Then it was like she wore a bikini in the movie. What a sex kitten! Um, but so, <laughs> Carol Baskin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1956 Italian movie Mio Figlio Neroni, okay. Bardot was asked by the director to appear as a blonde. Rather than wear a wig to hide her naturally brunette hair, she decided to dye her hair. She was so pleased with the results that she decided to retain the color, and hence she became the bombshell blonde. In 1956, she appeared in four movies that made her a star. And now you'll get what I mean when I say she was a sex kitten. The titles of these four movies are Mm. Naughty Girl. Yep. Plucking the Daisy. Sure. (laughs) The Bride is Much Too Beautiful. And and also, And God Created Woman. Oh, God. Those are the names of the movies. Um, So, yeah. She's pretty. If you look at pictures of her, you're like, yeah. In the 50s, you were provocative. Um... But, like, you know, not, we're not talking like Christina Aguilera's dirty. No. 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 Um, Budapest. Late October 1956, thousands of protesters took to the streets in Budapest, Hungary, to fight for a more democratic political system and from Soviet oppression. On November 4th, 1956, 12 days later, Soviet tanks rolled into Budapest to crush the resistance. 2,500 Hungarians were killed and 200,000 fled the country. What? Mass arrests continued for months later. I did not know it was that aggressive. Oh, yeah. Alabama. December 1956. (laughs) Alabama. And that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, not at at all. December 1956, a black woman in her 40s named Rosa Parks. Oh, yeah. Long active in the civil rights movement, declined to give a white man her seat on a Cleveland Avenue bus. Mm. She said her feet were tired. The bus stopped, and she was arrested and fined $14, which in 56 was a fair bit of money. And thus began the bus boycott of Alabama. The movement needed someone to spearhead it, and so Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. volunteered. Of course. And 95% of black bus users boycotted buses in Alabama, leading to a Supreme Court ruling that bus segregation was unconstitutional. Yes. From that moment. Yes. She was just like, nah, man, my feet are tired. Now bye. And they're on. It's go like, on, Rosa. Yeah, go on, Rosa. Khrushchev. This is why I thought I heard him when you mentioned him earlier. Yeah, Khrushchev. I researched him. Yeah. Forgot, but here we are. Yeah. Nikita Khrushchev, Khrushchev emerged as a leader in the Soviet Union after the death of dictator Joseph, Joseph Stalin. Yeah. In 1956, he advocated reform and indirectly criticized Stalin and his methods. He became the premier of the Soviet Union from 1958 to 1974. He led the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. The revolt in Hungary that we just talked about was crushed on his orders. Mm-hmm. He was the one who was like, go take them, and he, they killed them all. Good. Uh, he was also the one who approved of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also a thing I'd like to do. What's yeah. that all about? Don't know. Mr. Khrushchev, Turk, break down that wall. Is that Reagan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Princess Grace. Yes. Uh, which so is this another one, one. I really want to do this as an episode. Sure. I know the story, so I want to explain it to you, but it, you'll love it. Well, then give me the Coles Notes now so we don't ruin it. I, yeah, I'm not going. I don't tell you anything of the story. Oh, good, 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 good. So, Academy Award-winning actress Grace Kelly reached fame during oh. a six-year acting career. I want to be like Grace Kelly. Love that song. Yeah. It's so good. Um, she began her career when she was 20, and she retired when she was 26 oh. in 1956 to marry Prince Rainier III of Monaco. That's why she retired. And in, 19, in April of 1956, she became Princess Grace of Monaco. Sounds like Meghan Markle. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very similar, actually. Um, anyway, she... Her death is very suspicious Ooh. and fascinating. Hanky panky? S- okay, All can't, of wait, the can't wait, can't yeah. wait. Yeah, yep. so a future episode. Yeah. Okay. Done? No. Oh, no. Uh, Peyton Place. The book, Peyton Place. Oh, Peyton Place. Peyton, P-E-Y-T-O-N. They're like Be- painting places. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it became a bestseller in 1956 and reached huge popularity among teenagers who would mark the good parts and pass it back and forth from teen to teen. Why, you ask? Well, the novel describes how three women are forced to come to terms with their identity, both as women and as sexual beings. Sex kittens is what you're looking for. In a small, <laughs> conservative, gossipy New England town with recurring themes of hypocrisy, social inequities, and class privilege, privilege in a tale that ex- includes incest, abortion, adultery, lust, and murder. What a great book. It sold 60,000 copies within the first 10 days of its release. Wow. And remained on the New York Times bestseller list for 59 weeks, which is more than a year. Correct. Yep. Uh, I was like, how many weeks are in here? Uh, yeah, There's more. like 500, 25,000, 600 minutes. <laughs> yeah. There's a five weeks. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it was, wow. Yeah. Very pivotal. Uh, then we get Trouble in the Suez. Lots going on here. Yes, we could write a book on the Suez. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But so from what I understand, and you sort of touched on it in an earlier one. Mildly. Uh, with, was it Khrushchev? Or? No, it's Nassar. Nassar, yeah. Well, yeah, he comes up here. Nassar. Uh, Nassar. Good. The Suez Canal is a man-made waterway that was created in the mid-1800s, connecting the Medita- Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean mm-hmm. by way of the Red Sea. Yes. It allows goods to be shipped from Europe to Asia. Yeah. Much more directly. It also controls two-thirds of Europe's oil. If it were shut down, they'd be like, no cars, people. No planes. Didn't know that. Yep. Interesting. The states told the Egyptians, the United States, that the Egyptians, that they'd build a a dam or something in the Nile. And then they were like, nah, not going to do that anymore. So the Egyptian president is rotted. The crisis began on October 29th, 1956, when President Nasser nationalized the canal creating tolls for every ship passing through, thinking that the revenue would pay for the dam that the Americans opted out of actually paying for. Uh, the Israelites are rotted and invade, joined by the French and the British. They're like, yeah, this is stupid. Um, but aided by the Soviet Union, the Egyptians won. Mm, of course. Yep. That is 1956. Nice. On to 1957. Little Rock, Pasternak, Mickey Mantle, Kerouac, Kerouac. Kerouac, I think. Kerouac. It's it's like there's a war in there. Also, this is the bridge, so it's different than what you're saying. Spudnik, Joe and Lane, the bridge of River Quay. Little Rock, Pastor Mac, Mickey Mantle, Kerouac, Spudnik, Joe and bridge of the River Quay. It's that part. Thank you. (laughs) And I won't be able to speak tomorrow. No, and that's it. Um, So, Little Rock was something I knew nothing about, but I I think it's... the Reba McIntyre country song. Uh, if it has anything to do with it, I, I like. I was like, little rock. I'm gonna have to. I don't know the words. No, that okay. sounded like. Uh, it was Waterloo. No, I, <laughs> I think it was. Whoa, build me up, buttercup. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, so little rock. So the little rock nine 
Yes. Were a group of nine black students who enrolled at, at a formerly all-white central high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. In September 1957, their attendance at the school was a test of the Brown Five Board of Education, a landmark 1954 Supreme Court ruling that declared segregation in public schools unconstitutional. Yes. On September 4th, 1957, the first day of classes at Central High, Governor Orval Faubus called in the Arkansas National Guard to block the black students' entry into the high school. Yeah. Later that month, President Dwight D. Eisenhower sent in federal troops to escort the Little Rock Nine into the school. I've heard about this before. I did not. Yeah. It drew national attention to the civil rights movement. Um, in its Brown Board of Education of Topeka decision, issued May 17, 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that segregation of America's public schools was obviously unconstitutional. Yeah. Until the court's decision, many states across the nation had mandatory segregation laws, or Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow laws, uh, requiring African-American and white children to attend separate schools. Mm -hmm. Resistance to the ruling was so widespread that the court issued a second decision in 1955 uh, known as Brown II, ordering school districts to integrate with all deliberate speed. Um, which means just like hurry up right now. now. Yep. In response to the Brown decision. Also, why do they call it the Brown decision? Yeah. Am, am, am I being just a little on the tongue and being like, are they calling it or was there someone with the last name Brown who made right. the decision? I think that's a valid question. I'm hoping it's someone with the last name Brown. As much. Um, the decision to pressure uh, was part of the local chapter of the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. The Little Rock, Arkansas School Board adopted a plan for gradual integration of its schools. The first institutions to integrate would be in the high schools beginning in September 1957. Among these was Little Rock Central High School, which opened in 1927 and was originally called Little Rock Senior High. Two pro-segregation groups formed to oppose the plan, the Capital Citizens Council and the Mother's League of Central High School. Imagine being a group oh. called the Mother's League of Central High School. They've got nothing better to do? Nothing better to be at. Well, in, all, in their defense, men wouldn't let them have good jobs, so. Well, I mean, no jobs, let's be racist. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a little bit of a toss-up. It's a toss-up. Is that what's stopping people from being more racist, just having day jobs? Maybe. I hope not. Um, so the Mother's League held a sunrise service at the school on September 3rd to progress uh, to protest, sorry, against integration. But that afternoon, federal judge Ronald Davies issued a ruling that desegregation would continue as planned the next day. Yeah. The Little Rock Nine arrived for the first day at school at Central High, September 4th, 1957. Oh. Eight arrived together, driven by Bates. Um, Elizabeth Eckford's family, however, did not have a telephone. Mm. And Bates could not reach her to let her know of the carpool plans. Therefore, Eckford arrived alone. The Arkansas National Guard, under orders of Governor Faubus, prevented any of the Little Rock Nine from entering the doors of Central from High. the governor? Yep. One of the most enduring images from this day is a photograph of Eckford alone with a notebook in her hand, stoically approaching the school as a crowd of hostile and screaming white students and adults surround her. It's... It's disgusting. It's unthinkable. It's disgusting. I can't believe it's history. I Yep. And like recent history. Yep. So they ended up, the police ended up, uh, so obviously Eisenhower brought in 
um, the troops to, to help facilitate the issue. Um, the police escorted the nine African-American students to the school uh, to have a mob of some 1,000 white protesters gathered outside. The following day, Eisenhower sent 1,200 members of the Army's 101st Airborne Division from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and placed them in charge of the 10,000 National Guardsmen on duty. Wow. Yep. Like, it got real serious, which is like... Also because, like, the governor was, like, being a big old racist bigot, and the president was like, hang on, first of all, take my orders, I'm your president. Mm -hmm. Second of all, stop being a racist bigot. I've got a bigger army than you. Yep. Oh, like, and that was literally it. Yeah. Uh, in September 1958, one year after Central High was integrated, Governor Faubus closed all of Little Rock's high schools for the entire year, pending a public vote to prevent African American attendance. Little Rock citizens voted 19,470 to 7,561 against integration, and the school remains closed. Every school in Little no, Rock? No, it opened back up, obviously, the next oh. year. Oh. But, like, what an ordeal. So kids didn't go to school that year? No, none of the schools. They probably went to different schools and stuff. But, yeah. Wow. What an ordeal. Um, things that I left out were some things that were, like, like some horrific things oh, that yeah. happened to those I'm kids. Sure. I'm sure. Uh, one of the kids was a senior and actually got to graduate. Uh, some of the other ones were, like, like brutally harassed yeah. and physically abused. I don't know abused. why I know this, but I watched something. Like, it might have been a documentary that wasn't specifically about that. Yeah. But... They were interviewed or they were involved in some way. And I'm like, yeah, one of them is like quite successful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them ended up just doing great things. Yeah. 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 Um, Pasternak. Mm-hmm. Boris Pasternak, uh, Naknak, was a Russian poet and writer. He is best known in the West for his monumental novel on Soviet Russia, Dr. Zvago, um, which is where you book hotels now. <laughs> <laughs> Travago. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Um, the book was also made into an award-winning movie. Although he was celebrated in Russia as a great poet, his book was banned in the Soviet Union for twenty for many the, years. Is the movie called the same thing? Yep. Okay. Uh, the book was written in 1957. Mickey Mantle was a great baseball player, of course, yes. for the New York Yankee team. He batted both left and right-handed. Really? Yeah. He hit at a leading batting average as well as led the league in home runs. In 1957, he was voted the most valuable player for the second consecutive year straight. Who was like the big baseball guy, though? Barry Bonds. No, no, no. Like the most famous of all time. I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah, I guess so. But I don't baseball. Like, I don't baseball either, but it's like there's one, there's Mickey Mantle, but there's also like the most amazing baseball player, Babe Ruth. Oh, Babe Ruth. Yeah. He's like a Babe Ruth type, I guess. Like, yeah, I think so. It's right. also like in the time, like we have to remember, like they, there must have been like a huge yeah. cultural uproaring about him at the time. Is it their national sport baseball? Is baseball? Yeah. 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 Um Kerouac. 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 Jack Kerouac was an American novelist of French Canadian ancestry. Oh. Uh, who alongside William S. Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg was a pioneer of the beat generation. Oh. During World War II, Kerouac served in the United States Merchant Marine. During his service, he completed his first novel, though it would not be published until over forty years after his death. Posthumous. <laughs> he does retain something. Yeah. We'll ask him next week. We'll yeah. next week. I had to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his first book to be published was The Town and the City, but he only achieved widespread fame and notoriety with the publication of his second novel, On the Road, which was written in 1957. Amazing. Yeah. Sputnik. 
I think everyone knows Sputnik. It was the first artificial Earth satellite. The Soviet Union launched it into um, elliptical low Earth orbit on October 4th. 1957. Noise. Yeah, we did that before, and we did During the millennium. The satellite, satellites, the satellites <laughs> on anticipation's ass, um, perpetuated the American Sputnik crisis and triggered the space race, part of the Cold War. The launch uh, was the beginning of a new era of political, military, technological, and scientific developments. Based on the amount of turkey we've eaten, yeah, and like how tired we are, I think we're doing really well. Maybe. <laughs> Like, based, some of the sentences you just said, you said with your eyes actually closed. Yeah, that's because I knew what the <laughs> sentence was, and I was like, I need to enunciate. I need to articulate. Also, been, my eyes hurt. I was like, I don't, know how, I don't know how to say some of these words. I had to really think about them. They're written on, inside your eyelids. Yeah. Here's one that's going to be fun for me. Chow Inlay. Zhao Inlay. I, I don't, no, no, no. I'm not correcting you. I have so no idea. Whenever I say it, I say Sputnik, Cho and Lai. Cho and Lai. Because it rhymes with River Kwai. Yeah, maybe? Cho and Lai, but Zhao and Lai. Um, anyways, he was the premier and foreign minister of the People's Republic of China. Okay. Also called Red China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was popular and practical administrator during the Great Leap Forward of 1958 and later pushed for modernization to undo damage caused by the Cultural Revolution of 1966 to 1976. Zhao was largely responsible for the reestablishment of contacts with the West during the Nixon presidency. A skilled and able, able diplomat, Zhao served as the Chinese foreign minister from 1949 to 1958. Advocating peaceful coexistence with the West. After the Korean War, he participated in the 1954 Geneva Conference and the 1955 Bandung Conference and helped orchestrate Richard Nixon's 1972 visit to China. He did lots and lots of things, and I think he was just very important because he was the only one who I could not find he did anything in 1957. I'm sorry. It just sounds funny. Oh, like in that year. You're in like, that why, year, I don't know him? why. I think, to be honest with you, I think he was just very important. That's all I have to say. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, bridge on the River Kwai. Yep. Uh, in 1957, it was a British-American cinemascope and Technicolor adventure epic war film. Go on. Yeah, I know. It was directed by David Lien and was based on the 1952 novel written by Pierre Boulot. Boulot. Uh, the film uses the historical setting of the construction of the Burma Railway in 1942 to 1943. The cast includes Alec Guinness. Uh, Why do you say that like I should know who it is? He was Obi-Wan. Oh! The old Obi-Wan, Alec Guinness. Nice! Yep. William Holden, Jack Hawkins, and Susie Hayakawa. The film was wildly praised, winning seven Academy Awards. At the 30th Academy Awards in 1997, the film was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Uh, And selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress. Sweet. Lots of crazy stuff. Lots of crazy stuff. Okay. So continuing on with Evan getting vocal loads. Lebanon, Charles de Gaulle, California baseball, stock weather, homicide, children of the little man. So, Lebanon. Lebanon. U.S. President Eisenhower ordered, he just keeps coming back. He does. Dwight D. Ordered, Dwight, Dwight D. <laughs> ordered U.S. Marines or Ike 
Um, I don't know how he gets there. Dwight D. Eisenhower. Where does the Ike come from? No. No, no nothing. Um, he ordered U.S. Marines into Lebanon at the request of Lebanese President Shamaun. <laughs> Shamaun! Shamaun! <laughs> the president was just like, you know what, Eisenhower? Shamaun. Shamaun. Uh, he needed to help stop riots that were occurring in the country. In 1958, in July, Lebanon was threatened by a civil war between Maronite Christians and Muslims. And also, tensions with Egypt had escalated earlier during the Suez Canal crisis. Of course. Because President Shamoun was pro-Western Christian president and therefore stood with the U.S., not the Egyptians. No. After three months, the crisis was under control thanks to the partnership with Dwight D. Dwight D. Ike. Woo. My name is Dwight D, and I will get it done. Shamon. <laughs> Shamon. 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 Uh, then we have Charles de Gaulle, which is one of my favorite ones of all of them. Oh. Um, this is a bit of a longer one just because I thought he was such a gem. So Charles was this World War I veter- veteran from France. And after World War I, he was like, Sacre bleu. We need to modernize our weapons. <laughs> and everyone was like, Charles, ferme la bouche, ma petite chien. <laughs> and so nothing happened. So in June of 1940, the French premier signed an armatist, which I don't know what that meant. You said it earlier. And what was the word? Ar- armatist? Armistice? It's, it's a holding of arms. Oh, I see. Okay, so the French premier signed one of those with Nazi Germany. Yeah. And so Charles was like... Je suis ouvre. Arre. Get it? Yeah. I'm out. Thanks. And fled to London for those non-bilingual people. And like Jeff and I was so cultured. Um, where we've mispronounced every single yeah, word. Yeah, well, but we can't speak English, but no. we're really good at foreign languages. Yes. Um. So yeah, once that happened, they were like, "Hey, Nazis, we're good." Charles is like, "Gotta go." So he flees to London, where he organized the Free French Forces, which are basically just a militia of good guys. Who just like went up with the British and the Americans and the Canadians? Like, hey guys, we, we have wine agree- and bread and cheese. <laughs> yeah, we don't agree with the other French people. Uh-huh. Can we be on your team? And they were like, sure. So in 1944, he was named head of the French government in exile. So like, we all fled the country. We're a community of French people. You're our leader. Yeah, we're not in France, but like, you are now like basically head of the French who don't live in France, like Saint Pierre, I suppose. Um. So with France taken by the Allies, de Gaulle enters Paris in triumph and is unanimously elected provisional president of France. Mm. With, like, no election. Just, like, everyone says, you're the guy. He resigned, claiming he lacked sufficient governing power. And he ended up leaving politics in 1953. But, but. in 1958, which is the year in question that we're talking about now, 58, there was a revolt by French colonists in Algeria and a crisis in France. According to the people, no one but Charles was able to lead the country through this crisis. Of course. They called him out of retirement. Yep. And basically just made him dictator of France. He designed the new constitution on his own and became elected president. Go on. Just like fixed the country. Yep. And then he did. Oh, man. Um, sounds like a great guy. He and also like, like any dude. name that has like a duh in the middle. Yeah. You know? Jeff de Sims. Yeah. Um, California baseball. 1958. You sort of touched on this earlier. The Brooklyn Dodgers baseball team moved to Los Angeles Dodgers, and the New York Giants moved to San Francisco. Couldn't really figure out why. I don't understand. I don't understand sports franchises at all. But yeah. I gather that has something to do with like these guys always play each other, and it's like 
Will you rather have them play other people? It's about dollars. Yeah. Like, right, it's about whatever. attendance on, depending on where they're to. But the way that they had it done is, like, if one team agreed to move and the other one didn't, neither of them happened. Both had to move. Yeah, but it's, like, geographically speaking, because right, it's all within a small... Brooklyn and New York, so clearly they're playing each other a lot. Yep. And yeah. it's, like, California and... Right. Los Angeles. Well, Los Angeles is in California, but, I mean, like, a lot of those things, they'll they'll either play each other or they'll they'll draw from the same audience. Right. And it's about money, because if you yeah. can't have the audience there to make money, then you can't buy new players, right. and then the franchise is just cannibalized. Share the wealth around. Sure. Okay. This one is insane. Is it? It's Starkweather Homicide. I thought they were two different ones. but Starkweather Homicide. Starkweather is someone's last name. Oh, great. It could be more appropriately described as Starkweather and his crazy girlfriend go on a crazy murder spree. Oh, good. So Charles Raymond, or Charlie Starkweather, 19 years old, and his 14-year-old girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugati, oh. murdered 11 people between December 1957 and January 1958 between Nebraska and Wyoming. Oh the first murder in December was actually Charlie by himself. He's in a gas station. He wants to buy a stuffed animal with credit. He's I don't know why. None. The guy won't let him. He's pissed. He come, keeps coming back and buying small things. Eventually, he comes back armed with a shotgun and shoots the guy in the head. Great. So then, over a month later, uh, he and his girlfriend go on a murder spree, and they do 10 murders in eight days. What? Uh-huh. Precursor to this, I'm a murderino. So, like, I love yeah. crime stuff. Yeah. Um, I find these things fascinating. They're horrible. It's sure. like, George and Karen will always say my favorite murder. It's like, they, because they're also like a comedy podcast, kind of like us, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. We're really um, funny. But they're like, you know, we're not laughing at the situation. situation or nor are we like, these are awesome. None no. of it is awesome, but no. it's, you can't deny it's fascinating. No. Right? So it's, it's unimaginable. It's horrible. But I'm going to give you a quick rundown just because like spree killers, that's not very typical. Like serial killers don't spree kill. No. So yeah, 10 murders, eight days. They start with Carol's mother and stepfather and two-year-old sister. Oh, Shot, strangled, I... and stabbed. Then they hit up 70-year-old August Meyer, which is one of Carol's family's friends, shotgun blast to the head, and then they kill the dog, too. They ditch the car. Local teenagers stop to give them a ride shortly after. He shoots the guy in the head, attempts to rape the girl, gets angry, and shoots her as well. Although Starkweather claims that Carol shot the woman. There's a lot of this, like, he said, she said stuff once they get caught. Uh, then they go into a random wealthy section of town, go into a house, Stabs the maid, kills the dog, and just wait for the husband and wife to come home. The wife comes home first, stabs her. Husband arrives, shoots him and kills him. Then they steal a bunch of stuff and head off to Nebraska with a car filled with all the people's jewels. Random people. They're just in their home. They're identified, and they need a new car. So they find a guy sleeping in his car. They shoot him in the head with a shotgun and take his car. The car stalls because it has a... Um, parking brake and at this time a lot of cars didn't have parking brakes and Starkweather didn't know how to operate the parking brake so the car stalls and this guy who's driving by recognizes them because there's a huge manhunt on now they've killed so many people in such a short time so and state troopers are become aware and stumble upon the scene there's a huge car chase what's her nibs Carol gets out of the car and says oh my god he's trying to kill me and basically just starts to plead the victim and he just starts booking it so it's a hundred mile an hour car chase for hours um, which is like, can we just get the rights for this movie now? Can, can yeah, you yeah, and I yeah. make this happen? Yep. Um, an officer gets a shot through the windshield and Starkweather pulls over because he thinks he might bleed out because he's a narcissist piece of shit. And like the only thing he stops for is like, I'm in danger now. I might die. Yeah. Uh, well, he does die. 17 months later after the events, he's given the electric chair. And it's like, 
Good. Yeah. Um, Fugati serves 17 years in prison, in prison, swears she didn't kill anyone, but Starkweather was quoted as saying she was the most trigger-happy person he'd ever met. Ooh. And that's the story of 19-year-old Charlie Starkweather and 14-year-old Carol, Frug- Carol Fugati. So are we saying that she is out of jail now? Well, she's probably dead, but... Uh, well, this she, was, she was 50 fourteen what? and fifty-eight. Right, she served seventeen years. Yeah, well, she would no fifty-eight. She would only she could be in her seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Woof. And then I'm so this is the last one we're doing because we, this is going to be a two-parter, Jeff. Do you think we should? Well, it can't be a one-parter. I definitely can't be a one-parter. No, I think I think it's good. I think we yeah. should wrap it up. So it's the worst one so far. Oh no! It's not that long. It's just really horrible. Oh, so no. I'm sorry that this is the end, but uh, this is the halfway mark. Okay. Uh, Children of the Lidamide. No. Uh, the Lidamide was a medication intended for pregnant women yeah. to combat morning sickness and as an aid to help them sleep. It wasn't tested properly. So between 1957 and 1962, children of women who took the drug thalidomide during pregnancy were born with severe deformities, including only stubs for arms. Only uh, Of the t- 10,000 children born with birth defects, only 5,000 lived beyond childhood. I know. I'm so sorry that that's the end. Why? As soon as you asked me earlier, you're like, so what's the midway point? I was like, oh, it's children of the Lindmide. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, why, why did I say that that's the mid? I mean, it is the midway point, but why did I allow it to be the midway point? Because that's where we're going to end the episode. Oh, God. Well, now we have lots to look forward to. I mean, we do. The next one's Buddy Holly. Yeah. Who died in a plane crash. <laughs> oh, God. Space monkey. I don't know what a that monkey is. just sent in space. Oh, is that all it is? Okay. Yes. Anyways, um, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get there. Um, I think today's episode was fantastic. Yes. A lot of high energy, a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Um, I think we're gonna have. When you to, say high energy, you don't mean you falling asleep. I did not fall asleep once. No, true. That's true. No. Um, but I will say this has been a very fun episode, and uh, we're gonna put part two next week. So yeah. we're we're breaking out. We've we have been planning ahead. Yep. We had episodes ready to go for next week. We're going to have to just put that on hold. Yeah. We're building up to our Halloween episode, which is going to be something to look forward to. It's going to be spooky. It's going to be so spooky. But no, (gasps) next week is going to be part two. Is next week going to be the spooky? No, it's not. It can't. This next week is part two. Yeah. Next week is part two. Fire is spooky in a way. (laughs) I don't know what that was. Posthumous. Um, Just want to let you I hope I that sound burped. was captured. No, I burped and tried to it sounded like at you were trying time. to like sexually growl at me. I burped and spoke the same time. Okay. Um so just to let everybody know, we are still going strong with t-shirt orders. The second order has already gone in, but we still have a couple of t-shirts left. Yeah. Do not be afraid to message us. Uh we'll let you know if we don't have it. We are someone if, reached out today. So yeah, someone reached out today yeah. and they were able to get one for yeah. full in order. Um if you want some, let us know. If we do not have it in stock, we can go and pre-order it for you. We can start the next batch uh and get you what you need. It's the perfect little holiday gift for anybody who's been listening. I think it's super important. Christmas bling bling Christmas. Christmas, bling, bling, Elvis Presley. Well, it's Christmas time, pretty baby. Sorry, we gotta wrap this up. Christmas without splaining t-shirts. Long story short, email us at info.splaining at gmail.com to order your t-shirts. Also, don't forget to go to our Facebook page, Instagram. Follow us at the Splaincast. Comment, like, tell us all about it, and please go to wherever you uh, 
listen to your podcast, write a review, give us some ratings, let us know what you think. We'd love to know that you're listening. It's the most important part. It drives our podcast. Most of our stuff's our send-ins now, and it really gives us a lot of uh, focus and determination. If you, like Grace, would like to send something in, which Grace has now done a couple times, and we've done them because they're great, um, you may do that as well at info.splainin at gmail.com. We hope you learned something this week. And if you didn't, there's always part two next week. Like, we're like, no, that was too wet. Come on. I got to go.